Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Mickey Mike's Up. On today's episode, we are going to be covering the expansion draft, the trades that have happened, a little bit of the college draft, and just overall all the stuff that's been happening in the NWSL so I can get you guys as caught up to date as possible as we go into the last episode of season one of Mickey Mike's Up. I can't believe that this is going to be my 16th episode, I think. It's kind of crazy to think about how many episodes I've put out for you guys and how many of you guys have listened to this, and so... I want to say thank you so much for your support. I'm very excited about all that I've done with this and all that I have planned for the future with this. And so as long as you guys keep listening, I am more than excited to keep putting stuff out there. Today's episode, I also have one of my friends, Michael, who works for the Metropolitan Riveters joining me. And we are going to be talking about what he does with the Riveters, what it's like working in hockey, and of course, women's sports and how they are improving more and more each day. With that being said... Thanks for listening, and let's get into the last episode of Season 1. Okay, so I first wanted to start with talking about the trades that happened pre-draft, during the draft. Just, honestly, the timeline for these is kind of tricky, because some of them, like, should have been announced later than they were, and it was a... I don't know, we'll get into it. So, I think that the biggest one is that the Orlando Pride traded Alex Morgan to San Diego in exchange for $275,000 in allocation money. And in return, they got Angar James, who was traded to San Diego through a trade with North Carolina. And San Diego passed on selecting a player from Orlando in the expansion draft. And so there were two times during the expansion draft where San Diego chose to pass on that. One was with the Portland Thorns, and one was with Orlando. And so... The Alex Morgan trade, San Diego announced all of that, like, when the trade window was closed. Shouldn't have been announced, probably should have been fined for it, and they weren't. And it's kind of, I don't know, when you think about it, when Kristen Press was drafted to, I guess she wasn't drafted, when Kristen Press signed with Angel City, they announced it before they should have and they were fined. And so San Diego should have faced the same repercussions for announcing the trade before the trade window was even open again but they didn't and they weren't fined and that was kind of a little bit frustrating especially because it wasn't like it was subtle when they were posting it was all over the place and so that was probably the biggest trade um it wasn't really surprising everyone kind of expected her to go to California I think a lot of people thought it was going to be LA but I'm kind of glad that it's not LA I think that LA is building a really solid team and I don't really think Alex Morgan will fit into the team that they're building there um so then during the expansion draft San Diego picked Christy Mews from the Houston Dash and then traded Christy to Gotham for $200,000 in allocation money and they said that this was a move for Gotham that they had talked with Muse about and kind of decided with Gotham ahead of time that this is what they were going to do. Um, and the Houston Dash received $150,000 in allocation money because they lost Christie. And so basically what was happening is if any national team players or allocated players got picked, the teams that they were picked from were getting money so that they could use that to sign an international player, sign other players. And so there are rumors that the Houston Dash are signing an international player and it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Then um, the trade window opened up after the 
expansion draft, which I'll go over who was selected from that in a second. But the trade window opened back up, and on Friday, I think, Angel City signed Canadian um, international um, Vanessa Jill to a one-year deal with an option to extend it for another year. And she was playing over in France, I think, and, you know, did a lot of good things there. She played at the Olympics. She's going to be a really good defender to have alongside Sarah Gordon and some of the other players who have been drafted. Now, expansion draft, we're going to talk about who each team picked. So first, Angel City. So their first pick was the OL Reign. They picked Danny Weatherholt. Um, she's a midfielder, and I mean, I think that she will fit right into that team and is someone who I kind of, I don't know if I ever said her name, but now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like she definitely was a very solid pick. And because Angel City couldn't pick any forwards, it was a good decision for them to pick someone from the rain first. That way they had midfielders, defenders, and keepers available to them because once someone is picked from a position, they can't pick from that position again. And so alternating back and forth, but Angel City picked from Orlando Claire Emsley, and she's a forward. Um, I'm pretty sure she plays forward for club, but I know that she plays forward for the Scottish national team, which she plays for. And, I mean, she played soccer in college in Florida, went on to play at the Orlando Pride, and now she will be heading to Angel City. And then next, from the Houston Dash, they picked Jasmine Spencer. And I tweeted this, but I think that Jasmine Spencer is so good to have on your team. I think that you cannot... I mean, she's so good, and she is just... She is always doing a lot of community initiatives, which I think is really great. And I think that with that being a focal point of what Angel City is doing, it'll be great to see how she like works with the community there. And I mean, when you have defenders like Vanessa Jill, Sarah Gordon, now Jasmine Spencer, like you're building a solid foundational backline. And I think that that's really good for Angel City. And I'm really excited to see how that kind of plays out once the season starts. Next, Angel City picked Paige Nielsen, defender from Washington Spirit, another piece to their defense. And I think that she is a great pick. Um, She... When she plays, she's pretty solid, very good at, like, moving the ball forward. And I think that in this expansion draft, Angel City was really looking to build defenders and build their back line, which they did with the people they picked and the signings. And so that was their big things. And then once the trade window reopened, they signed Savannah McCaskill. They got her in a trade. And then they also got Brittany Wilson in a trade from Orlando. So they got Savannah McCaskill from Louisville and then... Brittany Wilson from Orlando. The trade with McCaskill was her to Angel City, and then in return they got the six overall pick and $25,000 in allocation money. And so that was kind of like a... I mean, it worked out for them. And then the Brittany Wilson trade, which I was not shocked about, to be honest, because I knew that they were going to be in the market for a keeper, and there were a few who are backup keepers. I wasn't... I mean, good for Brittany. I hope that she will get some time here and there. But I think that I was more shocked that it was her just because right now Orlando does only have her and Erin McLeod. And so now they only have Erin. And there are teams that have other keepers that I was kind of thinking we would see some movement from. Like the rain, you have 
Ella Diedrich, and you have Cosette Morse, who is currently on loan, but could be coming back. And so I didn't really expect Brittany Wilson to leave, especially because now that you do have Ashlyn Harris leaving, there is potential to get playing time with Erin going to Canada camps if she gets called up. And so that was a bit of a shock um, in it being her, but I wasn't shocked that Angel City was looking for another keeper, and especially a young one that as that. And so in return from the pride trading her, they got the 2023 fourth round draft pick from Angel City. So it wasn't like a super crazy trade by any means. And then then it came time to, I think that those were all the trades that happened to Angel City and then it was the expansion draft. But we're going to talk about San Diego and their trades first. So the first player that San Diego picked in the expansion draft was Kristen McNabb from the Reign. Uh, she's a defender, midfielder. And what we've seen with Casey Stoney so far is that she really is building a heavy defensive team. Um, And so having players who can play defense and still play multiple positions adds some more depth to your team. And I think that that's something that Casey Stoney has really been looking for in all the picks that she's made. After that, then they... I also forgot that they picked from Houston first, and that was the Christie trade. And so their first official pick with someone who stayed with their team was Krista McNabb. And then after that, they passed on their next pick, and then they passed again. And then finally, they picked Kaylee Real from Racing Louisville FC, and then that was the end of the draft. And so, honestly, Angel City kind of really worked the draft to their advantage, and San Diego made some interesting choices. They passed on Orlando, and they passed on Portland because of previous trades that had been worked out so because of the Alex Morgan trade they didn't take anyone else from Orlando and for Portland they had worked out a side deal to not get any of their star players that they couldn't protect taken and in return the Portland Thorns traded Amir Ali and Christian Westfall to San Diego and Amira was drafted to Portland last year from Rutgers but she decided to take her fifth year and so that's why she hadn't played with them yet and so now she will be making her professional debut with San Diego and that was pretty much all the expansion draft stuff all the trades that happened oh my gosh no that was not all the trades that happened but now we're gonna get into all the trades that happened with not expansion draft people and so North Carolina and Louisville had a trade that they worked out and so and so they traded Jessica McDonald who was their captain, star forward, to Racing Louisville for the sixth overall pick in the 2022 NWSL draft. And so I thought that that was kind of, I don't know, not a great trade because I feel like when you're giving away someone of Jessica McDonald's caliber, you might get a little bit more in return, like maybe some money or something like that. But that did not seem to be the case. So, you know... Now, North Carolina doesn't have her, but it seemed the move seemed to be by Jessica McDonald's like choice. She seems very excited to get to Louisville with her son, get to work there. And some other signings that happened with North Carolina was they signed Jorian Balcom, who is forward, and I'm so excited to see her somewhere where where she wants to be and where she will hopefully be getting treated much better than she was at Louisville and I really hope that we get to see her play and shine this season and then they also signed Jordan Lestro who is a midfielder um and they honestly the courage took one look at not making it 
to the championship match and was like, yeah, not again. And so then they also ended up signing Malia Berkeley, who is a defender. Um, she was playing over in France and they got her through the discovery rights process and the 12th pick in the 2022 NWC draft from Kansas City. And then in return, the courage, I mean, the Kansas City got the courage's 22 first round draft pick, which was the seventh pick in the draft. Now onto Gotham. Besides, like, the Christie thing, there hasn't been a lot happening for them positively, I guess. Um, so Mandy McGlynn signs with a Swedish team. So now we have Ashlyn Harris as our only keeper. Um, they, I think that they only have her until like 2023 or something like that. And so we could see Mandy come back because we do hold her rights for when she returns to NWL. And I do think that she's just going over there to make sure that she gets playing time and experience because she has the potential to be really good and be a starter eventually I think that it'll be interesting to see who we sign up as backup keepers and what will happen with that going into preseason and the season in general uh we also signed Cameron Tucker who is a forward from BYU I think that we got her rights in the draft last year but she stayed with her team and you know, I mean, good for her. She seems like she's really good from what I've heard. I don't super closely follow college soccer, especially BYU, but I've, I've heard good things about how she plays, and someone, I can't remember who, but someone referred to her as, like, very Paige Monahan-like, and so if anybody knows me, you know I love Paige, and so I love a player like her, and it'll be exciting to see how she fits in. Um, then we loaned Evelyn Viennes to a Sweden, a Swedish team until, I think, the whole season. So at the end of the 2022 season, she will return to Gotham. I mean, I can't blame Ev. I think she wasn't getting playing time, which made no sense, especially when we had so many injured players. She should have been getting a lot of playing time, and she wasn't. And so good for her going out and getting as much playing time as she can especially when she wants to become a mainstay on the Canadian national team and you can't do that if you're not getting playing time and so I'm really excited to see how she does over there. Julia Ashley also got traded to Houston from Racing Louisville. I don't really remember what the full extent of that trade was and what Houston got in return but it did happen and then now we are going to get into the college draft and things that happened there and what was to be expected and what kind of didn't go the way people expected. And so prior to the college draft, everyone kind of assumed that Jalen Howell was going to be number one. Everywhere you looked, Jalen Howell number one. I think even the night before we were tweeting and it was Jalen Howell number one. And then Jalen Howell did not go number one. Um, Naomi Gurma, defender from Stanford, went number one. And this was actually the fourth year in the last five that the number one pick has been from Stanford. And so 2018, you had Andy Sullivan, 2019, Tierna Davidson, 2020, Sophia Smith, and then now 2022, Naomi Gurma. The only one who wasn't in that Stanford group from the last five years is Emily Fox last year. And so, I mean, obviously they're doing something right there, but I was so excited to see Gurma go number one. She is such a good underrated player. And, I mean, she 
she came into the last season coming off of a really bad injury. Um, I can't remember if it was her ACL or not, but she definitely had like a long stint of recovery. And I remember she got called up to a national team camp and then ended up getting hurt as soon as she left the camp. And so that's why we didn't see her in the mix recently, but I'm really excited to see her start her professional career at San Diego. And again, she's adding to that strong-sided defender line that Casey Stoney seems to be building. And then Jalen Howell went number two race to Racing Louisville. Um, number three was Emily Gray from Virginia Tech going to North Carolina. And some people seem kind of shocked by that. I know a lot of people thought Mia Fischel was probably going to go in the top three. And, I mean, she went in top five. But it was really exciting to see her. She seems like a good player from what I've heard. And I think that she's someone that North Carolina could really utilize. And then um, Savannah DeMello went number four from USC to Racing Louisville. And then number five, Mia Fischel went to Orlando Pride. And that was kind of, I don't know, a little funny because the new Orlando Pride coach is Amanda Cromwell, who coached at UCLA, who was Mia Fischel's coach, and now she will be playing with her again. And Orlando was just kind of stacking up to be a Bruin Central team. You have Sydney LaRue, Mia Fischel, Viviana Villacortez. And so they're, I don't know, they're kind of... Building up something good there. I don't think that we'll see it right away, but I think that within the next few seasons, Orlando might really be unstoppable if you look at how they build up these college players that they're taking. Um, Diana Ordonez went to North Carolina, number six. Elise Bennett from Washington State went to Kansas City, number seven. That one I was really excited about. I've heard her name a lot, and I've heard really good things about her, and so I was really excited to see where she was going to end up. And then then there was the trade. Um, O.L. Rain traded the number 10 pick to Orlando. Um, Orlando picked Caitlin Cosme from Duke with the number 10 pick. And then they picked Julia Doyle, number 11, from Santa Clara. And that was kind of the biggest things from the first first round of the draft. As a Gotham fan watching this, I was getting so tired because Gotham's first pick wasn't until 24. And if anybody knows how long these drafts take, it's a long time. I think that this draft was four hours and like 56 minutes or something like that. So we almost hit the five hour mark. Maybe they'll get there next year. But in the next, the start of the second round, the Portland Thorns picked Sidney Nacello from University of South Florida. I think that we really need to talk about a better vetting process for these people entering the college draft because within 10 minutes, teenagers on Stan Twitter had uncovered her Twitter, which I mean, it wasn't really needed. It really didn't need uncovering because it was all right there. But she had racist, transphobic, homophobic, like all these different quotes and comments and things like that. And in a league that constantly is saying that they stand against those things and then not actively showing it this was not a good move and then the response from portland was to retweet her apology which wasn't even an apology it was her saying i feel like i need to give an apology and then literally saying how excited she is to play in portland and then the portland coach and general manager said oh yeah we might have not looked at social media which is where the first place you should be looking at especially for teenagers like we're using social media for almost everything so why wouldn't you look at her twitter and so that was not necessarily maybe play wise she's good but 
as a person, her morals don't fit in line with the league. And I think that that being condoned and supported by the Portland Thorns is not a great look for them, especially after everything that's happened in the last couple weeks for them. And then after that, um, the Washington Spirit and San Diego had a trade for the 14th pick. The Washington Spirit pick tonight, Alexander from LSU. She seems like a great fit for them. And then after that, the Rain traded the 15th pick to the Washington Spirit. So the Washington Spirit was really trying to, like, stack up their picks. They picked Madison Elwell from Vanderbilt. And then Racing Louisville had the 16th pick, pick Charmaine Morgan. And then we finally get into Chicago getting some of their picks. They picked Ava Cook, Sammy Fisher, and then O.L. Rain picked Claudia Dickey from UNC, a keeper. This was kind of one that I feel like keepers often get overlooked in these drafts. And so this was one I had heard her name a lot. I have a friend who was like, I really hope she gets picked. And O.L. Rain has been needing another keeper. Um, I'm thinking that we're going to see Ella Diedrich kind of become their number one unless they sign someone like Michelle Bedos, who is free right now. But it is good to have a young keeper that you can start developing um, and then they picked Ryan Brown from Wake Forest. And then and then the Thorns had another pick, and they picked Gabby Provisano from Rutgers, which I was really excited about. Um, I was very happy for Nubia to see her Rutgers girl get picked. And I think that watching Gabby play in person, she was really good, and I think that she will be great in Portland. And I always love to see people who are from or played in Jersey get picked, and so that was really exciting. Um, there's a few more picks, Washington Spirit, before Gotham finally got their first pick, and they picked Kellyanne Livingstone from Georgetown, and she's from Jersey, she's a really good player, and I'm so excited to see her play here, and I love that Gotham stays true to, like, the hometown roots and has a lot of players who are local and grew up playing in New Jersey come back and play here because I think it's so important. So, like, you know, you have Erica Skrofsky, Paige Monahan, Kellyanne now, um, Allie Longs from New York, you have Sabrina Flores, Nicole Baxter, all these players who are from Jersey, New York area, and it's really exciting to see them. And then San Diego picks Sydney Pulver from Washington State, and Washington State always has really good players, and they're kind of, like, I feel like underrated players, um, and so Sydney Pulver, you have Morgan Weaver, who was picked in 2020, 2020, oh my gosh, yes, that was the year, and then to finish out the second round, Racing Louisville picked Jordan Bloomer, who is a goalkeeper from Wisconsin, and honestly, that was a really good pick, they don't have a keeper right now, and it's good to, again, have someone who you can develop, and a young player, and then we moved on to the third round, um, by this time, I was tired. I bet the teams were tired. I know the the reporters were tired. There's a lot going on. But um, San Diego picks Bell Breed from Stanford. Um, Angel City has their first pick finally. Pick number 28 picked Hope Breslin. And then Orlando Pride traded the 29th pick to North Carolina. And then, you know, there's some timeouts, some more picks. Orlando Pride picked Jada Talley from USC. Um, oh, well, Rain had a few back-to-back picks, and then finally Gotham gets a number, another pick, and we picked Hensley Handcuff, goalkeeper from Clemson. She is really good, and I'm so excited to watch her play and just see her at Gotham. I love her energy, and one of the cool things that I saw when 
I mean, looking at her after the draft happened, um, she seems very driven. The video of the Gotham, like, war room FaceTiming her, she was, like, in tears, so excited to come play here, and I love that. I also love that she's a keeper from Clemson because, I mean, look at Kaylin, a keeper from Clemson. Look at how she did with Gotham. And so I'm really excited to see, to have another player that we can kind of grow at Gotham. And I'm so excited to just see her. I don't know. I keep – I'm talking in circles. But I was very happy about that pick. And she's actually a cancer survivor. And so I just think that her story is amazing and she's an amazing player. And I'm excited to see her and Kellyanne get to work at Gotham next season and then there were some more picks and then we got into the fourth round which wrapped things up and there were a few people who were on the table at the end that were like I was kind of shocked that we're still on the table so Sydney Cummings was one of them defender at Georgetown she's also from New Jersey so there's part of me that was kind of hoping that you know Gotham would take her uh you had Izzy Rodriguez Ohio State and then another big one was Marley Canales from UCLA that was kind of one that I was very shocked to see her pick so late but Sydney went to Racing Louisville for the 42nd pick Izzy went to Kansas City for the 43rd pick Houston finally got their first pick of the draft number 44 and they picked Ryan Garres from South Carolina and then Gotham had a picked um Riley Laubman from Michigan I think that she is from New Zealand and on like the New Zealand like youth team and so I didn't really see that we needed a midfielder because a mid our midfield is like our I feel like we have the most players there and the most players who can play there. We also have Delaney Sheehan hopefully coming back on loan. And so picking a midfielder was a little bit confusing to me. Um but Scott Parkinson, head coach of Gotham, was very like focused on finding players that we could develop and just give experience. And so I think that this is one of those just give her experience. And then Marley was picked by the rain for the 47th pick. And the last pick in the draft was Jordan Thompson going to the Washington Spirit from Gonzaga. And so overall, like, it was a it was a good draft. This draft class was not as deep as some people, like, expected it to be because there were a lot of players like FSU seniors and some people from Stanford and, like, big-name schools that decided to take their fifth year and not declare for the draft. And so I think that next year is going to be really, really deep. Um, But this, honestly, this draft had a lot of steals and a lot of good players that you can take the time to integrate them and develop them and have those long-standing players on your team. And then I just think that one key point is that the draft is not the way for everyone. I mean, you have Bethany Balser, who went to an NAIA school and now is one of the best players on the rain um is a reliable player almost won the golden boot so the draft is not the only way I mean you have Jennifer Kuja who got onto Gotham through an open tryout and then she was taken by Louisville because she was that good of a player and then we got her back and so there are other options and there's open camps and ways to get onto teams and tryouts and stuff like that and so there's over 200 or just about 200 girls who declare for this draft and only 50 get picked and so just for any of those other ones like it's not the end of the road there are other ways to you know play professionally and I hope that not getting picked in the draft doesn't deter people because there really is other options out there overall I do think it was a really good draft and I'm really excited to 
oh my gosh, take a shot every time I say I'm really excited, but I am genuinely looking forward to seeing a lot of these players play with their teams and just get the experience. One of the other things that was released was the outline of the schedule for next season, and so the NWCL Challenge Cup will be happening again as a preseason tournament, and that will be March 19th to May 7th, I think, are the exact dates, and then... And then there will be a 22 regular game season. Each team will play each other once at home, once away. And then there will be six teams in the playoffs again. The top two seeded teams get a bye week. And then the NWSL Championship weekend will be the weekend of October 28th. So Halloween weekend, which is kind of an exciting time to end. It is a little bit earlier than the last couple seasons. But I think that it's because there is a balanced schedule. And I like that it's ending a bit earlier the one thing that I'm not too happy about is the Challenge Cup. I don't think that it's necessary, um, especially for as long as it is. And you could even do it as like a postseason or like if you really feel like the need to have it. But some players have even said that they think that it's not really necessary and it just makes them tired and it's just a lot more strain on them. And so I'm not necessarily happy to see the Challenge Cup back, but obviously I don't make the decisions for the league. I am excited to see if the Challenge Cup will be used as, like, a let's get our starters ready or, like, let's see how our college players play kind of thing because it does not affect the regular season. And so that could actually be a really good time to, you know, obviously play your starters for Gotham play, Midge Purse, Ifyanamanu, you know, Caprice Didasco, like those players, but also be like, hey, you know what, let's throw Hensley Handcuff in goal for a game and see what happens or split halves like it'll be interesting to see what teams are going to take that approach for going into that another big trade that I did forget to mention was Orlando and the rain had a trade for picks like during the college draft and the rain got Phoebe McLaren from Orlando who's a defender and then in return Orlando got Leah Pruitt and Celia um those two players and then there was like money and I hate when there's trades that happen during the draft and they're like players to be announced later because that gives me the vibe that you made a decision and the players have no idea and I don't know that is just and I understand it's sports I get people get traded things happen I get that it's sports but the fact that players have such little control in where they're gonna have to live and do and I don't know it's so wild to me I guess because I just feel like they should have a little bit more autonomy to make decisions on where they want to live and play and have their career but that is not the case apparently last thing before we get into my interview is that U.S. Soccer announced their players of the year so Lindsay Horan won player of the year for the U.S. Soccer um honestly I didn't necessarily like any of the choices I think it should have been Kristen Press but it is what it is. I think Lindsey Horan was good in the midfield. Um, I think when a lot of other players were out and injured or not available, she did a good job at stepping up. In some cases, I think that one of her biggest issues is that she always wants... Okay, I, I talk, I'm talking like I know her. I think that from what we see, it seems like she always wants the goal. She always wants the credit and the validation. And that's okay. But as a midfielder, I feel like you're more there to lock down and distribute the ball. And obviously, you score sometimes. But 
there's been times where you've seen Lindsay get into spaces where there's a forward waiting there for a goal. And, you know, sometimes that's not necessary. Sometimes you can just sit back and pass the ball. And so I feel like, obviously, there's a lot for her to work on. And I only know so much as someone who, honestly, has never played soccer in their life and has just watched it. But she would never be my first choice for player of the year. But off of that list, I don't really think any of them were all that star spectacular this year or whatever. I will forever stand my ground that it should have been Kristen Press. And I mean, Kristen won goal of the year with her goal from the She Believes Cup. And so how are you going to have her get goal of the year winning like the best play and all this stuff? And then look at her stats and not nominate her for player of the year. I, I I don't even have words for it anymore. And then for youth player of the year, Trinity Rodman won. And I have nothing against Trinity Rodman. I think that she had an amazing season. She's an amazing player. Um, and she really has so much potential. But I do think that this one should have gone to Katarina Macario. Um, I mean, if anybody's watched her at Lyon, she is on fire. She's playing insane there. She had you know, an insane year with the national team playing at the Olympics. Um, She definitely deserved more minutes there, but I think that every time she's played with the national team, she's been an integral part. And I think that when you're factoring the fact that this is a U.S. soccer award, Kat was the only one out of that list. I think Emily Fox played a few minutes, but, well, Emily Fox played in the most recent games. But when you're factoring this list off of U.S. soccer, and Trinity Rodman has not played with U.S. soccer since 2020. I think the beginning of 2020 might even be 2019, I think. Um, I just don't really see how you can factor her in to give her the, that award. Obviously, congratulations to her. She's an incredible player. I just think that in this case, when you look at all the factors of it, I would have picked Katarina Macario personally. But it is what it is, and I mean... there's not much that you can do it's media and fan votes and all that fun stuff but that is the end of all this soccer stuff I hope that you feel as caught up to date as possible on the trades and the college draft and the expansion draft and just all the things Angel City and San Diego are both stacking up to be really good teams and really hard teams to beat I mean just looking at their names I think that one of the things that I had mentioned was They have good names, but it's a matter of coaching because, I mean, you have Casey Stoney, who's never coached in the NWSL, and so not understanding the pace of the NWSL might be a bit of a challenge to adjust to. And then you have Freya, who I didn't necessarily enjoy her playing style like Gotham, but she has all these top-line, really, really good players. You have a star in Kristen Press and Sarah Gordon, and then you have Naomi Gurma and Jasmine Spencer and all these players But just because you have good players doesn't mean you're going to be a good team because she needs to properly coach this team. But I do think that they have a lot of potential. I mean, they have Daniel Balls, their uh, goalkeeping coach, G.D. Heritage. Like, they really are going to be a difficult team to be. And San Diego are building a solid defense and have Caitlin in goal. And so they're going to be a challenge, too. And I really think that all the teams are kind of evening out on the playing field and there is a lot of potential with all of these teams to play well and be title contenders and so I'm very excited for the next season. All right thank you so much for joining me today um if you want to introduce yourself real quick to my listeners. 
Yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. It's uh, not so often that as a staff member for women's sports teams, that I'm the one getting asked to hop on podcast. So for me, this is, uh, you know, an honor, but also uh, a bit of a challenge for me. I just hope my feedback and the discourse is engaging and insightful for your listeners. Um, a little bit about myself. My name is Mike. I am the former equipment manager and current operations coordinator for the Metropolitan Riveters of the Premier Hockey Federation. And a side note, I know this is a NWSL uh, typically, uh, you know, focused yeah. uh, podcast. And for the Gotham FC, I am like their red hat, which is pretty much an on-field director spotter, just telling the broadcast team everything that's going on on the field and the sidelines and making sure all the players and officials hit their marks at the right times. So uh, I've worked with the PHF for this. I'm working in my fourth season now. And for Gotham FC, I've worked there for three years. That's really cool. Um, we are mostly going to focus on your work with the PHF today. But I mean, obviously, if you have anything to say about Gotham and the NWSL, I'm sure people would be more than happy to hear that. <laughs> um, so just like to get started, um, um, how did you get into working with like, sports? Like, did you play sports growing up? Was it something that you always wanted to do a little bit of? Um, yeah. Sure. So when I was younger, I was almost always a three sport athlete at every juncture of my life, working up through middle school and high school. Uh, in high school, I ended up focusing on lacrosse, ice hockey, uh, and cross country. Um, but ice hockey was always my favorite sport. And, um, even back then, like I was always like, I was often picked as like the leader, the leader on my teams. I wasn't always the best player, but I had multiple coaches growing up that told me like, you're going to make a great coach someday. And I, I believe them. That was like one of the first bits of, uh, encouragement that I actually like latched onto. I was like, yeah, this is something I could do. So, um, when I was in my teenage years, I helped coach some clinics with some younger kids. Sometimes I earned a little money on the side, just coaching clinics. And then moving into my twenties, uh, I spent about a four and a half year stint where I was working, uh, coaching developmental hockey on the side outside of my full-time career job. And I coached a travel roller hockey team and, uh, did some developmental learn to play ice hockey. And there was a period there where I was like driven to, move up the ladder in uh, the coaching world. And that's something I'll likely pivot back to someday in my life. But uh, I unexpectedly got this opportunity um, to work for the Riveters. It's kind of a funny story how that worked out. I was coaching in Pennsylvania for years, but I moved to New Jersey to get closer to my full-time uh, employer. And when I moved, I wasn't really networked in the arenas around here. And I reached out to a couple of rings in hopes of getting like a coaching job. And a lot of them told me, ah, oh, we already have our staff figured out, but come back next year. And I was like, great. I have a winter to myself. I might as well watch and enjoy some hockey instead of working in it all the time. So I had been a women's hockey fan, pretty much of mostly just the national team for years yeah. before this, but I was like, oh, there's women's hockey in New Jersey. I'm closer to that, to that now. Let me get season tickets. They were relatively affordable. My friend and I did. And I went to my first Riveters game, which was at uh, Barnabas. And I went to both games on that weekend. And as I was there, I had seats right behind the bench. And I just, I like fell in love with the cause and the mission because it was exhilarating hockey. But, and the fans were celebrating their previous uh, Isabel Cup win. So they raised a banner right in front of me. And I was just in awe. And I was like, this is great. This is going to be an awesome experience. 
And the second game of that weekend, I started noticing that there were a lot of volunteers running around doing odd, odds and end jobs. And I said to my friend, you know, like, we're going to come to all these games. I wonder if there's just something we could do to help. Uh, so I asked one volunteer, like, how do I get involved? And she said, talk to that guy. And when I talked to that guy, he just happened to be operations manager for the team. And his first question was, can you sharpen skates? And that kind of floored me a bit. And I was like, well, I I have in the past when I was younger, I worked at some ranks growing up and uh, said, well, really a need for an equipment manager. And I just was, was like, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. I have a full-time career job. I'm just looking to help out at the home games. And then he explained to me that um, in just a few sentences, he really opened up to my eyes to the challenge and the cause of women's hockey, explaining to me that like, well, no, many of these athletes have full-time jobs as well so the yeah. practices are all in the afternoon evenings and games are obviously always on the weekend so like is that something that you can make work and you know I mulled over it for a couple of days and I realized this is not an opportunity I could turn down so I went through an interview process uh but um within a couple of weeks I was working as the equipment manager for the Riveters that's awesome that kind of goes into like what I wanted to ask next but like what stood out to you about working in women's sports, which you kind of mentioned, like a lot of the players do also have jobs, even in the NWSL, there's like, they have their um, no side hustles, like no more side hustles campaign going on for the players association, because Absolutely. a lot of them have shared stories about how they have like a job in the morning and then they go to training and then they have a job in the afternoon or they're doing coaching and training. And so what have you seen um, working in women's sports that like you've, think most people are just kind of like overlooking all the time. Absolutely. Um, you know, my uh, awareness of the disparity between the men's and women's resources and, and uh, their access to like the instruments and professionals that they need to do their job actually started when I was attending college. Um, and that's, this is where my love and also like passion to support women's sports started to evolve. Uh, I had a job where I was working for division one men's ice hockey team. And there, this team was very supported, had a lot of resources, you know, equipment, uh, like unlimited access to equipment, it seemed like. And the role that I had for the division one men's team was one that did not exist for the division one women's team. And I just happened to make, become friends with uh, a number of women on a women's ice hockey team at my school. And I, like go to their games and there'd only be a few hundred people in attendance. But I also noticed that they had about a third, the staff and support that the men's program had. And I offered to like numerous staff members to, to perform the same role I was doing for the men's team for the women. And I offered to do it for free, kind of the same concept. I was like, if I'm going to be at these games to support my friends, I'd love to support them with stats and uh, analytics, but that was just not an option, not part of their program. So I was already fairly aware that there was like a different, there's a, there's a uh, big disparity in like the resources available to men's yeah. teams. Um, and more recently over the past few years, I've had the opportunity to work for both men's professional teams and women's. Um, I, one thing I didn't mention is that I've also done some fill-in work working for the New York Red Bulls uh, at the same arena as Gotham FC. And uh, and that's a great organization. I always have a fulfilling experience when I work there, but I also see the difference in access to training and resources yes. that the women's game, you know, is heading in the right direction towards acquiring, but that's part of the cause. So 
like working in both worlds is similarly similarly relatable for a lot of reasons but working in women's sports has always been felt just a bit bigger than the game itself um like in the realm of men's professional sports it's great to see like players inspiring fans and competing at a high level but working in women's sports leaves me and i know many of the players would relate feeling like a sense of urgency as they're like performing and in the public eye and it's a little it's a little stressful in a sense because the women's games are always under a microscope it mm-hmm. seems and uh but that work and these players and the experience that the fans have it just feels extremely important to ensure that their respective games continue to grow that the fans have a great time and that like just to ensure that the next generation of youth uh have better and better opportunities moving forward um and that goes for like boys and girls you know uh, i think there's an important side effect of the women's game that isn't talked about as often as some of the other things i, I just mentioned but this is not just about young girls yeah. i think it's really crucial that all youths of any gender identification have the same access to see women excelling in the sports and the business world as they do seeing men, because the reality is like they're, they're equal in that sense of what they're capable of doing, but having that equal access to see these empowered people will just inspire all kids, but also encourage that cultural shift that we need in our society mm-hmm. that will lead to true like equal pay and equal rights for everyone um because i you know i know growing up uh, as a young young boy like i had many misconceptions that have since been luckily corrected about just <laughs> how uh like like female fit, women fit in our society and a lot of that was just based on societal norms that you know, I accept it as what they were, but the women's game is definitely bigger than that to me, at least, because I feel like the, the ripple effects can be more impactful than the men's game, which um, is, is lovely, but has, you know, already is at that level that we want to aspire to. I think that one of the things that you said that kind of clicked with something that just happened was you said that women's sports are kind of under a microscope and they're a lot more analyzed than, you know, men's sports are in certain aspects. And so um, ESPN had tweeted that they were airing their first regular season women's college basketball game like this weekend. And I'm like, your first ever. And it's UConn versus UCLA and UConn just lost their star player. She's out, you know, six to eight weeks or something like that with injury. And they didn't play great last game. So now nobody's like, knows what it's going to look like for them going into this game and it could be it might not be a great game necessarily for them and then people are going to be like see this is why you shouldn't play women's sports it's ridiculous because like men have bad games too but people are just like oh well that's okay but it's because every once in a while a women's sports game gets shown on live like live big channels and is accessible and of course every once in a while that big game is the one that like someone's having an off day and it's just like it's not I I feel like I say this in every episode but it's not that people don't want to watch it's just that it's not accessible to everyone to watch and you can't like you can't try to make it more accessible but only every once in a while because that's only going to make that the misconceptions and the thoughts that people have about how women's sports deserve less than like true absolutely but um shifting more into your role with the riveters what have 
some of like the standout moments been to you with working for them and like just some of your favorite memories. I love hearing people talk about what they love about their jobs. So. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, it's funny you said that because I recently compiled a photo album of my favorite moments from each of the seasons I've worked with the Riveters and that photo album had at least 40 photos per season. So there's a lot of standout moments and a lot yeah. of it is more than the game. It's like the interactions I was having with people and just seeing happy fans, happy players and knowing I was making a difference. Um, but I guess to, if I was to make a top three list or so, I would say one of the most hopeful and inspiring experiences I had was actually the NWHL, which is the predecessor and now the PHF, their all-star game that was played in Nashville in 2019. I was lucky enough to uh, be the equipment manager for that event. And the game was played a few hours after a Predators game. So uh, initially, like we got to the, the, got to the stadium, the Predators treated the players and staff like professionals. We were given the same resources, the same locker room access. I had access to, to the same caliber tools that NHL equipment managers yeah. and, and uh, staff have. Um, and we got to enjoy part of the Predators game. But then our game was played, as I said, a couple hours later. And right. the, the experience I had in underneath the bleachers, and I heard this like hum coming from the stadium. And I, I literally had the thought, wow, the acoustics in this building are, are kind of interesting. And so I, I made my way under the bleachers and down the tunnel to the bench. And as I stepped on the bench, and I had, I just knew something was different. So I had my, my camera rolling Yeah. and I stepped onto the bench and looked around me and there was over 9,000 fans getting ready wow. to watch women's hockey. That's awesome. Um, and don't quote me on that number, but I know it was, it was definitely close to yeah. getting close to 10,000. And I saw that. And I spun the camera around and, and just seeing the production quality and the fan excitement and seeing it in the same venue that I just saw a men's game, the energy felt the same. And that yeah. to me was like, wow, like this is equally entertaining and valuable to be investing our, our time and resources into. And then the all-star game itself was incredible. And that same weekend, I looked behind myself. Uh, on the bench, I just turned around and saw a fan that said, we drove 10 hours from Kansas City to watch an NWHL game. And I, I have a wow. photo of that as well. And then there was a girl behind the, the bench that had a jersey she wanted signed and she tossed it over to me and I had a couple of the players sign it. And that whole event just, I'm glad that happened sort of early in my uh, NWHL experience because that event really propelled me. So like, that's what we're shooting for. Yeah, um, that should be other, the norm. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And uh, in addition to that, uh, a similar like feel good moment was uh, girls hockey weekend in Minnesota, which was also in. Yeah, it was in the fall of 2019. Uh, Minnesota has like a girls hockey weekend that the whole state celebrates and it's just about women's hockey. So the Whitecaps hosted the Riveters. And obviously uh, I accompanied the team to this uh, event where they were just uh you know, giving youths the access to interact and, and hang out with the professional players. So the Riveters were invited to join, join the Whitecaps on the ice. And we went to this pond hockey uh, venue that had about 30 sheets of ice. And every sheet was, had girls playing hockey. Like, oh, wow. and I'm just like, whoa, this is incredible. So there was, there were, there were many sheets, but there was about 30 games going on at the same time. And our players, uh, it was, 
well below freezing. Everyone had to get put their skates on in this in this heated trailer, and you know nobody could feel their toes and fingers. But it was an incredible experience. Our players would hop on, like split up, split up, and went on to each of the individual ice sheets, and were acting as officials and just hamming it up with the kids. And then they posed for pictures and signed autographs, and it was just another moment where you know that's again bigger than the game itself. Where I was like, wow, this is. You know, and it, that is the state of hockey, but still, I'm like, this is something that yeah. like, is growing. And I never expected, probably 20 years ago, that weekend, you know, wouldn't have been possible. Uh, yeah. And then I think the most recent experience I've had that was bittersweet in a way uh, was the the past season we had with the with the bubble season that we played. Yeah. Um, and it was a trying time for everybody in society uh, just to. Uh, maintain some sense of normalcy and try to do some of the, the things that, you know, we, we love to do. And, uh, you know, the cause felt even greater than that we needed to keep this league and this movement alive during that season, because many pro pro leagues, men and women were successfully having some semblance of a season. So for the NWHL and PHF, we felt the same. We needed to keep this momentum going and have a season. And while there were some challenges with COVID and our bubble that whole experience of how a team came together and the league in general, but like I was spent most of my time at the team level yeah, working with the players and seeing how like we all made enormous sacrifices to make, to allow this to work. And we were often asked to make decisions about how we would live our lives away from hockey to ensure the safety of everyone. And nobody, you know, opted out of these extra safety measures when we were challenged to, not, not socialize with people unless necessary to keep mask on to, you know, have exercised the safest COVID protocols possible. Nobody opted out and said, no, you know what, this isn't worth it for me. Yeah. Um, so seeing that like the staff and the players get through all of that. And then obviously there was uh, struggles with COVID in, in the bubble in Lake Placid, but then the resiliency of the league like a month and a half later to have that get the season finished in Boston, which I luck, was lucky enough to attend as well, was just, uh, it was inspiring. And, and again, it just told me like, this, this is, it's, it's not going to be easy, but this is a movement that's not stopping. So I think aside from all the close games and the, and the amazing skill that I've seen on, on display, those are for sure three of the standout moments that make me realize like how this is so much bigger than, than myself. Yeah. And that kind of goes along with like how, so a lot of my listeners like might not really follow hockey. I'm a bunch of them do, but I don't really know the large majority of it. Um, And so obviously you mentioned that it was the NWHL and now it's the PHF. So obviously that's a big change, but how else has the league grown in like the past few seasons that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. So Shortly before I joined uh, the Riveters, the league had it started as just four teams, which many uh, people today don't realize. Like the NHL started with very like with similarly precarious like be- beginnings and a foundation yeah. where there's a lot of uncertainty. And I wish I had been there, but I missed some of those first three pivotal years. And, and you can tell like the, the players and staff who experienced that. Uh, like startup of the league really were part of something special. And so when I joined, I felt that energy and I just, you know, wanted to keep it alive. And, and in the time since I joined, the league has expanded from four to six teams. 
um, which is big. We're hitting a geographic area where we're now expanded into Canada, where it initially started as a purely uh, North uh, American league. Uh, yeah. We acquired the league, acquired the Minnesota Whitecaps, which had many people don't realize was a, it's a, it's a longstanding professional women's like team that uh, had been playing friendlies and scrimmages against college opponents uh, for years. And it was just an, uh, an outlet for some of the top tier women's players to, to stay fresh and, and prepare themselves for international competition. So that expansion yeah. um, is like, I think expanding in a healthy way. And I know that there's uh, the, the league has goals to expand further in the next few years. Uh, and the next thing I'd say is like the broadcast access uh, for a while. It was primarily uh, like, internet streaming on some lesser known platforms that fans may or may not have been too familiar with or comfortable or willing to get involved with. But this year, our partnership with ESPN plus is huge. And while that's still a streaming platform, it's, it's a, it's a well-known name, name brand that people have been watching hockey on for years Uh, and the production quality and the access for people to watch the women's game is, you know, definitely improved. So that's been big for us. Um, and, you know, on a not uh, in a way that like I can't exactly quantify, but one thing that's been refreshing is just going to arenas anywhere from Pennsylvania to New Jersey to New York. Uh, I have been seeing more and more Riveters and NWHL PHF logos and and merchandise and uh, and and signage up where I'm seeing like this game is growing. And, you know, yeah. I just ha- happened to be at a rink in Pennsylvania last uh, a few months ago and I see saw a little girl wearing a Riveter shirt. I'm like, that's huge. You know, I, I've been seeing that more and more often. And, and like, as far as some of the resources, uh, I know the salary cap has doubled um, over in the time that I've worked with the team and, the, and there's certainly goals to increase that in an exponential level moving forward. And just the resources for myself uh, as an, as a staff member have gotten better at each and every year. You know, there's certain things where budgetary constraints, which uh, impact any team and organization, uh, things that used to be uh, nice to have, nice to haves are now must haves. And that's been a big difference. It's like things yeah. that we, we were, were shooting for are now realities and we're able to get the resources and provide that professional experience for our players. Um and what I'm most excited for more recently is the PHF's push to make uh, to for like to have like fan engagement uh, and outreach to communities who might not traditionally uh, have access to ice hockey yeah. or be interested in ice hockey. I know for the Riveters, we're making a push to uh, involve uh, to like partner with Black Girls Hockey Club, which is an awesome organization for anyone on this podcast. Feel free to look them up, shoot them a follow. Um, they're doing a lot to uh, encourage the, the the women's game in, in the uh, African American community, um, and also I think that's where these teams will excel. Is like is becoming an integral part of their local communities. Um, yeah, because the fan bases for like men's sports transcend like all socioeconomic backgrounds, and and I think in women's sports, like we're starting to like. M- make significant effort and strides to be available to everyone. Um, For sure. Yeah. So it's definitely been growing in in that sense. Yeah. I think definitely like reaching out and getting involved with the community that you're playing in is so important. I know that Gotham does that a lot with like their community initiatives. And 
I mean, for the Riveters, like they play in Newark, which was one of like the most diverse areas like in New Jersey. And so like there's so much that you like to do there. And it really has been awesome to see the stuff that's been going on. I The game that I was at that I volunteered at, I don't know if this is like a consistent thing, I think that, but like, I think that the game like some of the players like did like a, like, a lesson like, or something with like some young girls. like, And I thought that that was so cool to see. Like, I just think that stuff like that is awesome. Absolutely. It's not common in sports that you see players play, you know, an entire game and then keep half their gear on and, and stay on the yeah. ice. But the players hopped at the opportunity to do that. Especially they, when we had no, hot food not, waiting for them. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's not arms aren't being twisted. The players want to want to get involved. And they're like, wow, this is an awesome opportunity. Like, yeah. why pass it up? So you'll see the Riveters doing numerous events like that moving forward in the season. And then my last question, shifting more just to your role on the Riveters, um, what do you hope for the future of just specifically the Riveters? Like whether it's fan stuff, player wise, like what do you want to see for them? Absolutely. Um, you know, in short, from like a, a, a basic level, I'd like to see the players and staff be able to focus on uh, working in, for the organization full time. I think that that's the like practical, like work-life balance goal that you're shooting for. Uh, but then as far as like for the organization, kind of touching on what we just discussed, I would really like to see the Riveters become as an integral part of the New York sports landscape as say the Yankees, the Giants, yeah. and even, even more recently the New York Red Bulls. Uh, I think like we're in one of the greatest sports markets in the world, period. And the Riveters are more and more frequently being included in that conversation of New York area sports. And I think, you know, capitalizing on Gotham's uh, rebranding to like, make sure people realize, like, yes, this is a, a New York area team. I think that the Riveters, uh, you know, we're already making strides to do that, but I think moving forward, having both Gotham, Gotham FC and the Metropolitan Riveters in that conversation of, you know, when was the last time, how many championships has a city won conversations about like yeah. which games, what games are being played this weekend when you Google New York sports, uh, seeing those uh, improvements and like access to our game and acknowledgement of the women's game uh, would be enormous for helping the sport grow and empowering the next generation. Yeah, I definitely think that. I hate when you like look up like, oh, like what's happening this weekend? And it's like all the men's sports. And I was like, I know for a fact there's a Gotham game this weekend. And so to see that in the mix and more talked about and me not having to explain to people what Gotham is. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to a Gotham game or, oh, I'm going here. Like it, it definitely seems like it's shifting in the direction where women's sports are being more talked about. And I feel like it's very much on the rise. And so I really am excited to see like the future for all of it. Um, before we wrapped up, I had some quick rapid fire questions. Oh boy. Here so, we go. so the blue or the red ribs jerseys. Who I, I love the red. I love it, but I think the blue is quintessential riveters. Okay. Um, I think the red is, is awesome and impactful, but the blue incorporates our awesome new logo and, and our uh, secondary logo. So I would have to go with the blue. Okay. Uh, what is like your go-to game day snack? Ooh. Um, more recently, uh, it's, it's been cliff bars or, uh, um, 
Oh, fruit snacks. Actually, yeah. Fruit snacks are for both leagues that I work in. Fruit snacks are like the go-to. Like, And even eating fruit snacks away from sports makes me feel like it's a game day, for sure. <laughs> fruit snacks are great. Um, what is your favorite away team to play? Uh, Minnesota. And that's going to their their venue. Um, it's just an awesome facility at the Trio Rink in uh, MSP. And, um, you know, they really th- that town and that city really rolls the red carpet out for women's hockey. So I yeah. always enjoy the road trips there. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, what's your go to bagel order? Who um, locks and cream cheese. I so many people have said that recently and I've never tried that. I will, that will be on my like bagel list soon. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm sure there's a, there's a venue in, in Newark. Maybe you could grab some before or after the next ribs game. Yeah. I was planning to grab some before next Saturday because I, awesome. that'll be right after I get home. Yes. So, so now you understand what we're, we're raving yeah, about. Exactly. Um, what is the game that you're most looking forward to this season? Hmm. I would say our away games in Boston because playing against Boston feel the, the intensity is always a little higher. Yeah. Uh, and the games are just a little grittier or a little more physical. Um, the, the pride and the riveters have often had slightly contrasting, but, but com- comparable, comparably uh, competitive levels of play. And I've always seen the riveters step their game up against Boston and Boston uh, does the same against us. So it'll be fun. That's yeah. that. It'll be definitely exciting to watch all of that. So that was it. Thank you so much for joining me. It was so great to like talk to you about, you know, the ribs and women's sports. And I hope that everyone really takes away a lot of what you said, because I feel like you made really, really good points (laughs) and phrased it probably a lot better than I do sometimes. So yeah, thank you so much for for coming on here today. Oh, absolutely. As I said in the beginning, it's an honor and uh, I hope somebody took something away from the insights I shared. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I hope it was a little bit insightful in keeping up with all the trades and drafts and all the crazy stuff that's happened, especially if you weren't able to watch. Um, I hope that you thought the conversation with me and Michael was really insightful because I think he made a lot of great points and I always enjoy talking to him and picking his brain about what it's like working in sports and just all the things. And so I was so excited that he was able to take the time out of his super busy schedule to talk to me. I want to quickly thank some people, you know, since it is the last episode of season one, I know I'm only taking a break for like three, four weeks, but I still feel like I need to shout some people out. So Mom, Dad, Sammy, if you guys are listening, here's your shout out. Thanks for listening in the car. Thanks for listening on the radio, in the speakers at home when I'm not there. I appreciate it. Um, And I wouldn't be doing this if you guys didn't like cheer me on or whatever. Thank you to everyone who has joined me as a guest. So Bianca, Connor, Ari, Clara, um, Marissa Pilla. Michael, like all the people who have joined me as a guest, I appreciate it more than words. And to all of you that listen and who have asked me questions and supported this by sharing it, retweeting, like telling others to listen, it really does mean the world to me to not only know that I have the support, but to actively see it. It means so much. And I appreciate all of you more than you guys can know. Um, 
that goes to everyone, my parents, Sammy, my guests, my friends, and people who support it. And I really, really can't wait to keep posting more and for you guys to see everything that I have planned for the next season because I'm so excited for some of the things I have lined up. So thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to follow on Instagram at Mickey Mike's Up and on Twitter at Mickey underscore Alfano. And I will see you guys in a few weeks. Have a happy holidays, everyone. And make sure to stay safe and get vaccinated and get boosted if you haven't already.